Scuba Obsessed's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 132 is recorded live September 27th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here's just a few articles we'll be talking about this week. We have Diver Survives Severed Air. We have uh, Fish Food Finger and a Stolen Vehicle Recovered. Also, the topic of the week, we're going to have how to name a shipwreck. But before we get started, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I'm enjoying the weather out here. Yeah, we are getting some beautiful weather. And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm great, thanks. Excellent. Now, so Mac, how's the back doing? You get any, any closer? Well, the back is fine. I can move like that, but I got to work on the hip next, and that's we'll see what the uh, the bone doctor says next week. So, is that like physical therapy you have to do for that? I'm hoping it's just that, but I'm willing to bet it's not. So, we'll see what the ortho guy's got to say. Okay. Well, we have a full news week this week. And we're going to jump right on into the news. And I don't have my other system hooked up, so I'll edit the sound in post-production. I feel kind of lucky I was able to get on the podcast. Today was one of those days where everything was against me getting on. About an hour before the uh, podcast, somebody dumped a trailer full of hay in my yard. So I had to go and throw that up in the barn. And then the Internet went out for about 10 minutes. I had to do some emergency rewiring. First article up is we have Diver Survives Severed Air from a supply line, paste that in the chat room so those who are following us in the chat room can keep up. A commercial diver survived for 40 minutes in the North Sea after his umbilical air supply was severed. Chris Lemons, 32, was left without surface supply air and heat when his line became snagged and was cut. He's working at a depth of 262 feet at the time. Following protocol, Mr. Lemons switched to his emergency cylinder, remained where he was at, moved as little as possible to conserve what little gas he had, by the time his col- colleagues reached him, 38 minutes later, he was unconscious. He was moved to a diving bell where mouth-to-mouth was administered. Uh, he quickly recovered and following decompression treatment made a full recovery. Uh, his line was snagged after the boat to which he was attached began dr- having problems holding its positioning. Uh, its thrusters look like they're having some problems. Uh, he was working inspecting a drilling structure at the Huntington oil field off the coast of was it Aberdeenshire. So, Mac, have you, is that normal for commercial divers? Is that how it works? Yeah, normally it's probably working out of the valve. You do have a bailout because when you're that deep, you've got to have something that if your line does screw up or your air gets cut off. And more than likely, you had to mix gas, not just straight air. And to stay in one spot when you run out of air and not yank your mask off is really, really hard to do because it's like dry, dry drowning. Put a bag over your head and tighten it. You uh-huh. breathe until you can't breathe anymore. That's what it feels like. And it ain't a lot of fun. So now, we're able it, to do that so they can resuscitate them, took something. Now, is it possible that he just uh, 
you know, his carbon dioxide got so high that he blacked out? Probably not. Uh, again, I don't know what kind of hat he was wearing. And if you tried skip breathing, which is probably what you're going to do, uh, you could get a, a high CO2, which will knock you out. Yeah. But you start getting that starvation syndrome and the, the urge to breathe anything as opposed to dry breathing, it's or you know just sucking in nothing. It's it's really hard not to yank that mask off or helmet. Yeah, well, and that makes sense. I I couldn't imagine it. But uh, like we were talking before the show, much better to have uh, uh, dry breathing than have something fluid in your lungs. Yeah, especially if you're trying to do that back in the bell. Yeah. But, I mean, he had to have some pretty good air usage uh, to make it because he had 100 cubic feet at 262 feet down. Yeah, you're assuming, I'm assuming he had 100. So if he had anything less, I mean, that's still conserving your air. Yeah. That's what we were trying to calculate is how much air would we have had at that depth, you know, maintaining little movement and then trying to skip breathe to hold your breath. That would be dicey. He's a lucky guy. Glad he's doing okay, and hopefully they they learned something from that. Yeah, because I, I imagine that. I mean, to have uh, you know a hundred hanging around would be a lot of a lot of tank to when you're trying to get something done. Well, anytime you're that deep that you can't come straight up, you really like to have that bailout. This next one, fish food. Wakeboarders finger found in a lake trout. This is by NBC News. Um, so what it sounds like is uh, a wakeboarder, uh, Hans uh, Gallus. G-A-L-A-S-S-I, Galassi, lost four of his fingers in a wakeboarding accident in Idaho. Wakeboarding in Idaho. Not where I would think he'd be doing wakeboarding. Uh, when he joked it to become fish food, what it sounds like is he had, uh, his hand got caught in a line and it pulled and it decapitated his fingers. Uh, he got rushed to the hospital and he joked, he said uh, that they had become fish food. Then on September 11th, a man named uh, Noah Calvin, or Nolan Calvin, was fishing the west side of Priest Lake when he caught a large lake trout. As he was cleaning the fish, he found what appeared to be a severed human finger. And this is according to a press release from the Bonner County Sheriff's Office. Uh, the department statement says, It's unknown, of course, how long the fish actually retained the finger in its digestive tract. However, it's noted the finger was in remarkably good condition at the time of recovery. Uh, when the fisherman found it, he put it in a... Uh, uh, he put it on ice, and they were able to lift a fingerprint on, which is how they found uh, out that it was Glassy's finger. They said the fish uh, traveled about eight miles from where he lost his finger to where he was caught. Uh, the sheriff's department offered his finger back. He said, I'm like, uh, I'm good. <laughs> I think I would have wanted the finger. I don't know. What do you do, put it around your neck and you know, dry it out or something? Well, you know what you could do? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? He should have said, Can, you know, had the fish mounted. You should get it on a mounting so you could have the fish and then have the finger on like a hook. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just me. Of her, but yeah, <laughs> definitely a man cave item. Yeah, yeah. The the wife that that the boy that would be a that would be some conversation, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think she'd want to have a jar of moonshine. What was that, Jim? Stick it in a jar of moonshine. Moonshine. Yeah, wasn't there a alcohol preserve it? Uh, yeah, wasn't there a uh, God? It seems like I remember an article about a bar out west where they had a body part in the jar and they would fill it with whiskey, and then that was one of the drinks they would serve would be whiskey out of the jar that had the body part in it. I have to. Look I am not sure I want to do that. I don't think so either, but you know, it's one of those dares. No. 
you know, you got your buddies all there and everybody's half snocker. I think I would pass on that one, even drunk. (laughs) I I think worms in my clear liquid alcohol are to the extreme. Yeah. And then uh, I guess this is maybe a little bit of uh, revenge on the fish eating the finger. Next one is from uh, Yellowstone. Uh, they are killing lake trout to save the to save cutthroat in Yellowstone Park. Now, I'm not sure why they did that. Did you, looking at the fish, I think I prefer to have the lake trout. And the size of those monsters, they were getting out, trying to clean them out a little bit. Uh-huh. Those right here. Yeah, so what, so what they're doing is they recently discovered, and I'm trying to see what year it was they discovered these. Uh, the cutthroat were discovered 1990. in 1994. So I always love it. it. It reminds me of the butterfly we had here when they rediscovered those. You know, 1994, they discovered it. So they thought that there weren't any. So are they endangered somehow, cutthroat? Well, they, according to that, it said the ecosystem of the cutthroat trout impacted more than 40 bird and mammal species in the overall ecosystem of that place. And that the lake trout are screwing them or eating them guys like crazy and messing up the equal. So 7,733 feet covering about 139 square miles with 110 miles of shoreline is Yellowstone Lake, the highest elevation lake in North America. Uh, So they're it's home to the genetically pure cutthroat, Todd Cole, from the uh, fishery there at Yellowstone National Park. It said it's identified by a red slash under its jaw, having called Yellowstone home since the end of the glaciation, about 10,000 years. Each spring, the fish make their way out of the lake, up uh, mountain streams to spawn where they fall prey to animals like grizzly bear. Oh, so it's a lake. Oh, they were cutthroat when they were first discovered. Okay, so the lake trout were found in '94. Kind yes. of odd. And they they later talk about the zebra mussel. So it's a cut. So they're they're getting they're trying to get clear the trout out. And so they're using nets. The uh, they say the lake trout grows to an average of 18 to 23 inches and can live for 50 years. Uh, they said this last time they pulled three out at more than 28 pounds. So pretty good eating then. That's what I would think. It's like I'd like to know why the ecosystem is screwed up for the cutthroat fish are there are some are they food for the other items that they can't eat the the trout i don't know but the uh they said that uh in the stomachs of the trout they were finding five to six cutthroat in there, and their populations are diminishing so so they said uh, makes you wonder what the what the other trout eats yeah because i mean that sounds like the place to go if you want to go fishing you know, for lake trout, is go to that lake. Well, if they're trying to get rid of them all. So they, so uh, as of September 18th, they had captured 274,042 lake trout this year. And they wanted to uh, reach 300,000 before operations ended in October. Okay, so that does it for talking about the fish. Next one is a stolen vehicles recovered. This was uh, discovered during a recent paddy public safety dive workshop in Mermit Springs, Illinois. Patty American joined force with the underwater criminal investigators owned by Mike Berry, Patty dive master instructor. The public safety workshop attendee, let's see what else was there. So as part of the class, they were culminating in a team dive under a local bridge 
where they discovered a submerged vehicle that was reportedly stolen in 2009. So, uh, and, uh, so what they did as uh, public safety divers, the team applied their newfound skills to the vehicle, returned it to the surface, and called local authorities. Always fun to recover something, especially big something. Yeah, you get to, I mean, how often do you get to use a, I mean, that's a pretty big lift bag, isn't it, for a car? Well, I don't know how far it's offshore. A lot of times you just put the uh, tow cable on it and have it drag it back up. Ah, yeah, that'd make more sense. The way they said that, off a bridge, it sounds like it went off a bridge. One would have thought you'd have noticed that, like the side of the bridge was missing. Well, maybe they know the side of the bridge was missing and just didn't bother looking for it. Depending on how big the bridge was, it might have been one of those where they ran off the ramp and before it got to the bridge. And, yeah. You know, well, think about the river. You could have, you could run off the side of the road by the river and run alongside the road and then finally dump it in the river. Yeah, and and a lot of uh, the bridges seem to have a public access down local. Uh, you know, sometimes even a park down there. And then we had an event in uh, the preserve this weekend. The thirteenth. Uh, Underwater Preserve in Michigan was approved, and I was kind of surprised if, when I first heard about that. Uh, it, what there wasn't a preserve there already, because if you remember listening to us talk about the Ironsides, that is now firmly in the middle of this new preserve. That's the West Michigan Underwater Preserve, and they did the ribbon cutting on I think it was Saturday. God, internet is just brutally slow today. That just uh, barely makes been working it. I'm trying to get that preserve established. How long have they been working on that? Finally, uh, process the paperwork. Uh, it's been in the works well over a year. Yeah. Well, what I thought was funny is when I read the the documentation on a preserve, it sounded like almost that two shipwrecks being found within a certain distance of each other almost created a preserve by default. So they were protected. Maybe it's just a difference between them being protected and uh, uh, being actually a managed preserve. So the ribbon cutting was at twelve. 30 p.m. on Sunday at Pierre Marquette Park near the Coast Guard Station. As part of the ceremony, divers, snorkelers, oh, they said we're expected to enter Lake Michigan. Um, and uh, another article, they didn't. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of blowing, wasn't it? Because we had talked about going out this last weekend, which we'll mention later, but uh, got blown off. So how many, uh, so the new preserve is 345 square miles, features 13 identified shipwrecks and three other diving structures. Now, the other diving structures, are those like clay banks? One's clay banks, I uh, one's a crane. Okay. One's a crane that fell off a barge, and another's a, uh, an artificial reef. Okay. So cool. So uh, another one, and that one's just above uh, our preserve down here, isn't it? Right, it borders uh, our preserve and just continues it further to the north. Okay. So ours ends, what, probably just a little north of Holland? Yes. Okay. So excellent. So some good news, another preserve. Yeah, we're uh, going to do some joint activities with them to promote the West Michigan and the Southwest Michigan. And uh, uh, we get a ship between the two of us. We hope to be able to get something sunk. Uh, you know, we're working together with them to uh, either put it in their preserve or put it in our preserve. Right now, the state only allows one shipwreck per preserve. So well, after I'm, we get the first one in, then we'll start working on the second. Yeah. Well, I, I'm picturing that uh, there should be, because they, they, they cover Muskegon then. And I'm going to picture up in Muskegon, they have to have some uh, 
ships that would be considered historically significant that could qualify for sinking there? Well, I've heard that the Badger may be retired at the end of this year. Ooh. That's a coal burner one, isn't it? Yes. The one that they couldn't convert or didn't want to convert? No, I think they don't want to convert it because of excessive cost. So I don't know what's going to happen to the Badger, but that would make an excellent uh, artificial reef. Oh, that certainly would. And that would be historic. Yes, it would. Yeah. And, you know, putting it right there in their area. Well, probably the nice thing about the Badger is that I don't think they would turn that into a museum. Because they've already got the, uh, oh, what's the, the Milwaukee Clipper up there. And I know they have a heck of a time keeping funding and maintenance going on that. So, Or they could trade it, you know, sink the Milwaukee Clipper and then uh, uh, use the Badger as a museum. Well, the big deal, though, is still <clears throat> taking all the stuff off that could pollute yeah. well, the lake. Well, my That's dad did uh, volunteer on the Milwaukee Clipper and did some... Uh, a conservation in the engine room, which it has a the steam engine on the Milwaukee Clipper. The Smithsonian has requested that if for anything anything ever happens, a shipper gets disposed, they've got first shot at it. I guess it's the only surviving example of that type of steam engine that's on it. Uh, also, I do know that it is laced heavily with asbestos. That would be a problem. Yeah, that would be a lot of work because I know that they had. You know, where some parts were deteriorating rather rapidly just because of age and condition. And, uh, you know, you just have you know, that asbestos when it falls apart and drops on the floor. You just can't sweep it up. They had to do special processes with it. So, Yeah, but one of the items with asbestos is only when it's dry is it friable or, you know, that will then crumple and make it airborne. If it's underwater, it ain't friable. So I'm not sure why asbestos would be a major concern because you ain't going to bring it up. Very true. I'm sure that they would come up with some way or some reason why. But, uh, yeah, because that's actually how they, they you work with it. You, you wear uh, containment uh, garb and then you wet it down and then slice it off and put it in the bags. So, And then uh, this next one I think is out of California. Divers, owners say goodbye to Big Blue. It's... Uh, a 12-acre open pit mine, which closed in 1948 and uh, soon after filled with water. There's a depth of 200 feet and visibility of 50 feet or more. The mine became a popular spot for divers. Uh, Mueller spent 30 years turning the flooded mine into Captain John's Sport and Scuba, a recreational park and full-service scuba dive shop. The site became known as Big Blue and Blue Hole. But now, under the direction of the ever intelligent environmental protection agency contractors will still will soon begin filling in the pit with mine waste as for the uh, cleaning up the mine waste around uh, he says I don't agree that they need to clean this up I don't agree with the way they are doing it John said it had been 10 years ago he would have uh, resisted plans to use the former mine for cleanup but he added that in the advice of attorney who indicated they might have little choice in the matter they uh, closed their business they are being compensated for the loss of their business by one of the companies the environmental uh, environmental protection agency has identified as responsible for the mined waste. Uh, the Mueller's, who will keep title to land, had hoped that the interest would buy the property. So, he, so here's the deal: a mine operated. There was spoils from the mine. The EPA is saying that 
That is not natural. It is hazardous waste. You need to deal with it. So they're essentially condemning his property, filling it in, compensating him for the loss of it, but then he still has to keep the damn property. <laughs> so we want to know why California, and it's, I say California, the U.S. is running on bankrupt. Let's take an established business who probably did a lot to clean up that, that area, and then we'll just shut them down. Yeah, eminent domain. That's great. Well, that's, it's an ongoing business supporting people, producing money. That sounds about logical for the government, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you had stuff spread all around. They had this EPA money burning a hole in their pocket. Got to clean it up. I, I would like to know what was the contamination that was so bad that had, that they have to close this down and fill in the hole. I mean, if they mined it, what could they have mined that was that bad? Yeah, exactly. Unless it's uranium. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> He says, I spent 30 years turning a rock pile into a recreation park. The mining company came in and raped the land, and this is just now another rape. And if you, when they go in the article on the history of the spot. Uh, after the mine closed, it became a party spot. And then when they bought it, they started cleaning it up. Uh, they had sunk uh, staging, uh, guides for dives. They had a Piper twin-engine plane uh, that was in 40 feet of water. They sank in 1987. Uh, since the location's closing, they brought the plane back up and are selling it for scrap metal. <laughs> I just went and looked up Captain John Sport and Scuba. Uh-huh. They're talking about having to, they're having to do, duh, will not be open for be, uh, circumstances beyond their control. It looked like a nice little establishment, too, darn it. Well, you got to, I mean, we've we've dove in quarries. I mean, you got Gilboa, you got White Star. Uh, I mean, even Lake 16. And, you know, the, uh, you know, so it, they're what they are. I mean, they're, they're a hole in the ground. I mean, it looks like an anthill. Mm-hmm. So, Big hole in the ground with water in the bottom. How, now, like you said, Mac, if that was a mine and they took stuff out of it, what are they putting back in? Oh, I'm trying to, little... to look for that even yeah, as we speak. Chat room saying it was an iron ore mine. Okay, so I mean, what what do they change the oil, the trucks, and the and the you know it's you move dirt. Well, so far, everyone I've looked at for that area is limestone quarry, limestone, 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 limestone. So far, that's all I've seen found. It, and limestone is not hazardous. Ah, here we go. Like this was according to the website. The mine was reportedly the largest open pit lead and zinc mine in the world. That explains part of it. Well, take a look at Bonterre. Now, that was a lead mine. We died yeah. that. What is the problem, people? And it's been exposed for how many years? So it's a concern. Why? Who knows? Well, because like a month, yeah, we need somebody to explain this to us. Maybe their oranges are leaking and then the acid is reacting with the lead. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, what do you want to bet that they throw Aaron, other crap in that hole? Well, Aaron, didn't we read about one last week? What's that, Jim? Didn't we hear one I, last week that we're going to put trash, use it for a trash dump? Since you already had a hole, just cover it with trash and put dirt on top? Oh, that could be. Darren, I think you need to do a follow-up on this for next week. Let's with the uh, dive shop owner and give us the story behind the story. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, we want to know why our government's getting rid of dive spots, shutting down legitimate businesses who re- revitalize stuff. Yeah, keep these people off of 
welfare and unemployment. Well, you know what happens if divers don't dive? You know, then they just become scourges and drunks and all sorts of bad things. Yeah, that too. Okay. So so we, we go from uh, EPA to crop circles. So underwater crop circles are discovered in coastal them. waters of Japan. Uh, these crop circles until recently were a complete mystery. A Japanese underwater photographer discovered the six-foot intricate circles in the seafloor off an island in Japan. He returned to the island with a film crew in order to study the circles. Together they discovered the artist behind the circles, a small species of pufferfish. Males of the species create the circles with their fins in order to attract females. They mate in the center of the circle and keep their eggs from drifting away. Huh. How the hell do they know how to do that? I mean, it's, a, it's symmetric. It looks really neat. See, I would, have, I would have bet anything that was like where the uh, the alien spaceships were landing underwater. Yeah, that was their landing pod feet. You know, that's yeah. their footprint for the pod, yeah. And now they tell us it's a fish. That just destroys it. Yeah, no, this, this this can't be a fish. It's it's aliens. I'd be more inclined to believe aliens than I do that fish. Yeah, it's it's. it's I not think what they did is hurt that little fish, put it down there in the dirt, let them just scooch around, making a big pile of dirt, just to fool us. Well, maybe what they did is they've already captured the alien spaceship, so they need to ditch them somewhere, and they're going to put them in a quarry and fill it up. That could possibly be too. I don't know about you guys, but I do believe in aliens. There's got to be intelligent life out there in the world somewhere, or in the universe somewhere, because there sure ain't much here. <laughs> Not if you're a politician. <laughs> Either party. So, so, so we go from that to 17th century stolen <laughs> treasures being recovered from a river in Poland. They're hey, taking a river, not a lake. diving, way to go. Yeah. Yep. Just think, you, if if they had had uh, hardcore river divers, they'd have already found this. Capitalizing on the low water levels, the Wars- uh, Warsaw's uh, Vistula River, police are teaming up with archaeologists to recover gigantic marble and alabaster statues. They were stolen from the royals in Poland by Swedish invaders in the mid-17th century. Police in a helicopter hovered over the riverbed. They lifted ornaments such as a centerpiece of a fountain with water outlets decorated and a sat- satyr-like faces. For police, is gratifying to provide the chopper and assist the uh, university archaeologist in this important mission of retrieving priceless national treasures. Oh, he's like the priceless. They really thought they were priceless. They should have gone out there and got them a long time ago. <laughs> well, it looks like they've been looking for them for a few years, and uh, they just stepped up the, the search. Yeah, you know, some diver found something, and the state wanted it probably. <laughs> yeah. He probably had in his front yard next to his anchor and his ship's wheel. Yeah, they just didn't make the preserve out of the area. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, did I say that? Yeah. Do you I'll, want to I'll, see a picture of what that looked like, by the way? What the uh, the? Some of the treasures. Oh, certainly. Uh, yeah, I can get back to Skype. I'll send another link. Yeah, where is everything? All right, I can't get my link back to send you a note. <laughs> well, that sucks. Well done. We'll put it on talk show. Yeah, we'll put it on talk show. That way you can see a picture of what the heck they're talking about. Okay. Guess five. That you, Max? Say what? That you, guess five? Probably. You I don't know. I just got that posted. <laughs> he doesn't know what he is. I'm just roaming around here. I'm not computer literate. I'm hardly literate at all. He, he, he's in the chat room just like he is when he's diving the river. If you take a look at this river, 
I mean, there's no water. You could walk out here and find these things. And I <laughs> so, would recover that. So, the, so that the statue means. arm is reaching out of the uh, bottom? Is that what you're saying? No, it's like a big urn with faces on it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did you see it? Yeah, I see it. That's not a discovery. And you can see the polluting power plant in the background. <sighs> I, I'm picturing it would be like our river, you know, where you got water flowing over it and stuff. This is kids could come and pick this up. Yeah. If you go to the uh, that park right above it, you've got other pictures. And I just clicked on some of those. That's Man, you could really check out that river. Neat. Under the bridge is a nice shot. There's a secondary shot that's even better than that one. And you can see how many things have been damaged and broke off to the left of it. That's awesome. Well, could you picture being the Swedish who were, they were plundering this town and they grabbed it? And then after about you know, a, a little bit, they're like, damn, this stuff's heavy. Let's stick it in the river. We'll come back and get it later. Yeah. It's just like, how could they not know that's out there? Talk, you know, National Geographic, you've got the most annoying ads on your damn website. Holy mackerel. It's like you can't click a di- anything you without. Every your picture, get a new ad. Like Dave said, if you find the old con block countries, does it still belong to Spain? Probably. Ah, Spain's bankrupt anyway. Now, what are those? Uh... Yeah, we're getting that way too, but that's... yeah. Oh, uh, we're we're just a few years behind them. What's the? Oh, those are. Is that a war? I can't figure out what those bricks are. Is that lead? Have I gone to another section? Oh, I already got rid of the pictures. I got to go back and find which talking. All right, you're saying bricks. What bricks? Yeah, they, you went from they had the urns and then the rubble around and then the boat and then there's like a brick. Oh, well, I'm luck. I didn't see the brick. Got to reload. Okay, by the boat. Oh, I never went further. Oh, like ingots. Yeah. Oh, now I just wonder, silver or lead? <laughs> now, I definitely would pick some of those up. Yeah, because they never talked about that. They just said statues, and then here's this lone picture. Yeah, and that says World War II wreck treasure. Do you see that? Yeah. I don't think that's the same item. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, we're, we're now on a squirrel trip here. So World War II wreck photos. Oh, 48 tons of silver recovered three miles down. Now, that I'd like to be playing with. Uh-huh. 48 tons. At $34 an ounce right now, four men to go. And if you're not buying silver now, you're going to wish the hell you had. Oh, yeah, all that, all that's going up in value. Well, whenever they devalue the dollar, you're going to wish you had hard currency, let me tell you. And silver's going to be it by, by George. So we just need to get a silver Political commentary first. <laughs> investment company to be a sponsor. So that was a boat off the North Atlantic. I think we covered this one. Yeah, 412-foot vessel, nearly three miles underwater, deeper than the Titanic. That's a long way to clamshell. But probably worth it. (laughs) Yep, that's how they got the Duwabic out. That's a different story. That's a recent one, relatively so. And that was uh, copper, as I remember. Yeah, but they've got marine exploration. Those guys have found some really good stuff. They've recovered 48 tons of it Boy, definitely take what they're looking for. Now, did you see the side scan sonar image of it? Nope. Is that there somewhere? That's there. Tell me that you couldn't spot that. <laughs> did you put the place that you're looking? Uh, it's in the slideshow. Yeah, I put I put it in talk shoe. It's about the oh yeah, about the seventh photo in there. Okay, I'm going back yeah, again. You can't. 
if you can't interpret that side scan view, you've got a real problem. <laughs> That's where you just need to go and do something else. You're not meant Between to... the visual image and the shadow. Yeah, don't be a treasure hunter because you're going to miss it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That that is an amazing shot too. Well, yeah. well you, you, but you also figure they're doing now. How would they do a side scan on something like that? They're they're three miles down. Do they have a tow fish that they have that's almost that deep? Well, I wouldn't say about that deep, but uh, if you ever go to to uh, that place up in Wisconsin every year, the ship's correct one. Oh yeah. The the death ships or whatever ghost ships. Ghost ships. They had some guys with the professional sonars that made made these pictures look like Polaroid shots taken from ten feet. Uh huh. But you're talking sonars that were ten and fifty thousand dollars. They definitely are not using the hummingbird fish finder. No, I well I was watching the uh, Ballard's got that show on uh, the TV Alien Deep. And he was mentioning that with his side scan, he was doing 1,000-meter sloths, 1,000 meters. We could cover where we're at in a quarter of a season. The problem is you've got to have the depth to get that kind of width. Well, he was only in uh, 200 feet of water is what he was doing. 1,000-meter sloth? Yeah, Yeah, because he was was looking for shipwrecks, and uh, he found one. And it was what he was surprised because he was expecting to be, and and maybe you know they cut stuff together, so he could have been referring to when because it was the depths they were in was uh, uh, two hundred to you know five hundred six hundred feet, and what he was trying to do was prove that these shipwrecks were that the the ancient mariners were going in deeper water than historians said they went in, and I agree with him. I I I don't think seamen from any age are wimps, and if they can figure out how to get there quick. They're not. They're not sticking near the shore. So that's what he was looking for was deep shipwrecks, and he he found a few. And this, there was one in particular that was that was old that he was looking for in that that show. But yeah, the, his burn rate was a thousand dollars an hour for that vessel. That's a little over my budget. Yeah, and I and I was gonna say it was a little over his because that was his because uh, uh, he, he had two vessels, one in the Atlantic, one in the Pacific, and then this was his personal vessel. That I don't know if he chartered it or what, but yeah, a little bit of money tied up in that. So that does it for the news. Here's some uh, potentially cool scuba gear, or maybe not quite scuba gear, but aquatic-related. We've talked about this a few times. What the heck? I did the wrong one. Uh, I sent you guys the wrong link. Oh, well. Yep. <laughs> and give so me a we'll second. talk about Google. Well, yeah, that's Google. So how about that? It looked interesting, too, but the other one sounded neat. Okay, let me see. I'm, I'm going to find it here. Robo tuna. So here we do put that in the chat room. Okay, you want that, or did you already find it? I found it. With the pictures? Okay. Yep. That's a US, neat picture. Yep, U.S. gears up for underwater patrolling with tuna fish robot. ROV rentals. rentals. The Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. will establish a lookalike tuna fish robot for underwater patrols. The bioswimmer robot fish has flexible fins and a tail, and uh, will manage to maneuver through water. According to the news website, U.S. Homeland Security funds the robots made by Boston Engineering Corporation because their mission is to investigate flooded areas of ships, explore oil tankers, or patrolling U.S. harbors to look for unnatural activities. Remember the spaceship that left those footprints? That's uh-huh. what they're looking for. Yeah, that's it. 
Humans can control the activity of this robot fish uh, through a laptop, but it also possesses its own computer for routing out maps, processing sensor data, and collecting, oh, connecting with the home base. So, but I, I, I would love it just for shipwreck hunting. Wonder what that cost? Oh, that right there, uh, several million. <laughs> easy. We could go salaries for that cost, couldn't we? Yeah. Oh yeah. Does that include a twenty thousand dollar toilet seat? Who knows? Right. Who knows? Amazing. It is. So we've got that. Uh, we've got quite a few videos for the week. First one was that one from Google, uh, and that's been all over the news, so you can't have missed it. Uh, Google, like they did their Street View, now is doing Street View underwater. Uh, and I was, I was thinking they would do this for a while now, but I have to say I'm not as excited about Street View as I would just to have accurate topographical maps. That would be nice. Current ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On land and underwater, everybody's yeah. The the street view of people standing in their front yard doing all sorts of weird things isn't nearly as interesting as if they had a great topographical of underwater, and you just don't see that. So it, it just gives me. I'm, I'm, we'll just have to form our own Google because you know the fishermen would love it. Yeah. So on the uh, dive site, and let me paste this in the chat room. We had quite a few videos this week. We had the uh, Google exploring the Earth with Google. In honor of the new preserve, we had a video of the Ironsides, uh, and that was kind of a nice one. If you haven't dove the Ironsides, it was quite a long video and involved. Uh, we also had one of the anacondas, and then uh, there was a dolphin giving birth, which looked rather painful. I didn't feel a thing. Well, you didn't see the dolphin? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> but I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> And then we have Claire is doing some tech diving. Uh, I chatted with her this last week, and she's uh, getting started. She did advanced nitrox, uh, two courses, enjoying being a student again. I wonder if they shifted to dry suits already. It must be 70 degrees now. Oh, I think she was probably in a dry suit a month ago. That's just jealousy, of course. Oh, yeah. I'm very jealous. And she admits it, but uh, good luck to Claire on that. And uh, um, I told her to send us some some information, so we'll keep you posted. So that does it for Scuba in the News. As always, you can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Follow us on Twitter at scuba obsessed, and we also have our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. We'd love it when you give us some five-star reviews on iTunes or also on TalkShoe. And then I was thinking a topic for tonight. I thought maybe we'd start coming up with some topics, and tonight would be how do you name a shipwreck? And I think the obvious answer to that is the name of, of the ship. But until it's discovered, what should the protocol be? So what have we seen in, in other places for shipwreck names? He who finds it gets Generally, it's absolutely. Hence, why we have a max wreck. Exactly. So, and so if you find it, it's named after you until the real name for it gets discovered. It makes sense. Well, I think that sounds a whole lot better than unknown ship number two. And, and yeah. even barge and crane, you know, that should there should be some sort of name. If you, if you want to get people talking about it or interested, it can't be something bland. You have to have some personality to it. Plus, we've used that, uh, the naming as an incentive for people to turn over snags and shipwrecks, haven't we? That's right. Yes. We tell them, you give us the numbers, it's your wreck. We'll name it after you or your mother or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
well, in uh, they they do the same thing with uh, new particles or uh, materials on the periodic table. How about and asteroids? Asteroids, and stars, and stuff like that. Yeah. So shipwreck. So if you if if you find it, it gets named after you until it's discovered. Now, have there been any exceptions of that? I don't know. Not for us. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> well, like the, uh, the you know we're looking for Max Barge. We found yeah. Max wreck. Yeah. Well, on the East Coast, you dove on a wreck that they called the Flower Wreck, and that was because of what it was carrying. Yeah, uh, when they but to have know, known that, they had to know what up there, but yeah, there was one called the Magnolia, and or you know, called the Carrot and there were a number of unknowns or things that had different names. That, uh, but those were usually found by fishermen. Snags have been around for a long time. Yeah, the the chat room's going crazy. They they're they're coming up with all sorts of names. <laughs> There's a squirrel event going on in there. I'm yeah, not sure what's going <laughs> Okay, so uh, what kind of diving did anybody get last week? We got blown out. We were supposed to have a night dive. We got blown out of the big lake. Yeah, it was lake over the weekend. So Bob got out on Wednesday night, I think. He did a night dive Wednesday night. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then he also was doing one on uh, Saturday night. I was going to go with him. He and... did have some with the park rangers. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he went and the uh, park rangers gave him some grief for uh, being in the park after dark. Yeah, but obviously they weren't looking at submarines, so it, it was very easily explained. I well, it's easy to explain, but you you got to figure that uh, they they just don't want to be bugged. <laughs> so somebody either called on them or this, they got them in their normal rounds. But, yeah, they went and did uh, a dive. I can't remember which lake it was, but. I was going to go with them, but I was stuffed up. My, I had a head cold, and my ear wasn't feeling the best, so I thought, you know what, better to pass. I've got a, a trip coming up here in Cooper River that I'm looking forward to, going with Rich and Dave, who are in the chat room. I, I'm going to be in Carolina, but I'm not going to be there, but I sure wish I were. Yeah, well, we're going to find a big tooth just for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you've got a dive coming up uh, Saturday, don't you, Jim? We have a dive Saturday. Saturday is going to be the uh, Trash and Treasure Dive at Moby's Dive Shop. It's got a lake right behind the dive shop in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it's a fundraiser for the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. So we got that plug in early. And then Sunday, if the weather cooperates, it looks like it will, we're going to take a couple of people out and hit Max Wreck again. It's, uh, Excellent. Move a little more mud. That sounds very cool. So down if you're around Sunday and want to get wet, we're going to move mud. Oh, I want to. I've got, uh, this is crazy for me. Uh, I've got to travel. So I, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm traveling for work. And then Thursday, I'm leaving for uh, Cooper River. So I'm I'm just running out of time. <laughs> So if I can get all my chores well, done, what well, light are you taking? What's that? What well, lights are you taking? I haven't even gotten to that point yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try to get my can lights working for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I was gonna hit up a few good dive buddies and see what kind of uh, lights I can get. You can buy that, or you can, maybe you can do. Yeah. 
They could always try to ask Bob if you can borrow that solar sun, or that underwater sun of his. I mean, that would be cool, but I don't think I need the, the, the total sun. Uh, plus, it, that's too new. <laughs> Needs a little bit of depreciation before I borrow it. <laughs> I tell you, when you dive with that in a little bit of... What's that? I was going to say, if you uh, dive with that light, if there's any kind of silt in the water, that thing looks like a lightsaber about 20 feet long. <laughs> yeah, the, the chat room they're talking about considering a 5,000 lumen helmet. Yeah, so I've got to do that. I've got to rig up my back plate and wing, and I've got to get in the water on uh, after I get the wing on. So I might need to actually dive Sunday just to uh, get that tested out. Oh, gosh. I need a vacation to be able to take my vacation. But, yeah, I've got to... Uh, uh, on Monday, I've got to do. I got to drive about eight hours for a day and a half worth of meetings, another eight hours back to then go and drive fourteen hours. <laughs> so I'm I'm doing nothing but traveling for the next two weeks. But in the end, it'll be worth it. Yeah, when you come up with that twenty thousand dollar giant mammoth tooth. Yeah, I, I want a tooth so big I need a lift bag for it. Oh, I, I wait. I can't use a lift bag. That would just be a surface marker buoy. Just so I could do my safety stop. So, okay. Well, let me see. Do we have anything else we need to talk about? Kind of another rambling night. SAS has got a couple of items or a couple of things going on during the week. If you haven't been to their uh, site, yeah, they have their dry dive, the pub crawl, crawls, pumpkin carving contest. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, with Rich in the chat room, he's got a pumpkin, a pumpkin, <laughs> pumpkin carving contest coming up here real soon. They also have a monthly meeting greet up there at his place too. Yeah. Social hour type of thing. Mm-hmm. So okay, well I think we're to that point of the show. Okay. Okay. You ready for this one? I don't, I don't know if I'm ready, but okay. Hey, can I give a warm up? Can I do a warm up one first? Sure. Do you know how to tell the difference between a dead politician and a dead lawyer in the roadway? I don't think I do. You'll find skid marks in front of the lawyer. <laughs> wow. That's a good one. So, okay. No, we didn't lose anybody to chat with me. I'm sorry. What was that, Mac? If you compared that with the skunk, I could have believed the skid marks. <laughs> okay. So here we go. A lady about eight months pregnant got in a bus. She noticed a scuba diver opposite her who was smiling at her. She immediately moved to another seat. This time the man's smile turned into a grin, so she moved again. The man seemed more amused. When on the fourth move, the man burst out laughing. She complained to the driver and had the man arrested. The case came up in court, and the judge asked about the man who was about 20 years old. What did he have to say for himself? He said, well, Your Honor, it was like this. When the lady got on bus, I couldn't help but notice her condition. She sat down under a sign that said, uh, Double Mint Twins are coming, so I grinned. Then she moved and sat under a sign that said, Logan's liniment will reduce the swelling. I had to smile. Then she placed herself under a deodorant sign that said, William's big stick did the trick, and I couldn't hardly contain myself. But, Your Honor, when she moved the fourth time and sat under a sign that said, Goodyear rubber could have prevented this accident, I just lost it. I must admit, though, I like that one. (laughs) 
Yeah, we we, we, we let it age for a week, so I, I think it was it was about due. Until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no dolphins giving birth were harmed in the making of tonight's show. All recording has been completed.